0: Well, hello, and welcome to Garden Success. Now, we are normally a call-in show, but today we're coming to you by tape with a very special guest. And so don't try to call in. I'll try to remind people that join late uh, listening uh, about, about that same thing. Uh, but our special guest today is, is Paul Winsky. Uh, Paul Winsky is program specialist for the green industry with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulture Department. And uh, Paul and I go way back. Uh, I don't know, Paul. Was it ten years, maybe something like that?
1: that (laughs) Yeah, I've been with Extension. This is getting closer to year eleven. So year eleven. Okay. Yes. yes.
0: He. uh, I was a horticulturist in Harris County, and he came on as well as a horticulturist in the commercial area for Harris County. And uh, we've kind of had a long history of all kinds of things, horticulture. I guess I should start off by saying welcome. Well, (laughs)
1: it it is good to be here and good to be back. And, uh, you know, we're in this new studio and uh, pretty nice digs.
0: I know. I'm looking around (laughs) feeling like I must have gone to the wrong place because I'm used to the same old place every time. That's great. Well, Paul, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit more. I'd like to hear... Uh, how you got into horticulture you know how, how, what's the path there and then kind of professionally uh, s- some of the things that have brought you to your current role
1: all right well that that's a that's a uh, a, a great question so um, I am not a native Texan uh, I grew up in Philadelphia so go birds go <laughs> Eagles for all you Dallas fans um, and um, I was some well I, I guess I was in Scouts I I, I so in the city, I grew up in a row home, small small uh, lawn, small garden, um, not a sprawling area.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I was in scouts, and I, I really enjoyed being outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and initially, I was thinking forestry. Um, and then uh, within the school district of Philadelphia, there is a school, a high school called W.B. Saul High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an agricultural high school and you have to apply you have to interview and they only take uh at the time i think they only took like 250 students Mm. and so students from all over the city were were trying to get in here Um, and this school was from where i lived um, about an hour a little over an hour between an hour an hour and a half and it was public transportation. So I had to take three buses oh, wow. to get there. So if
0: you're, if- you're one of those guys that had to walk uphill through the snow, both <laughs> there and back, right?
1: <laughs> and my mom, I'd get up in the mornings and, and there was a uh, local high school, not far away, 20, 25 minutes, that's where my brothers went. And she's like, are you sure you really wanna do this? And I said, you know, absolutely. Um, so anyway, I was getting up early to go, go get to class. And um, I ended up with a, uh, a, a great teacher. Uh, Dr. Ronatarian and he uh, had the uh, greenhouse management classes mm, okay. and so I had that freshman year uh, I did really well he offered me a job to take care of the greenhouses there and I guess that really started my whole progression into horticulture so okay. I changed from forestry uh, like the greenhouse management side the growing side of things. I uh, went to Delaware Valley College at the time. Now it's Delaware Valley University, which is just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, focus there was ornamental horticulture, floriculture, um, and, again, greenhouse management classes, plant ID, all that, mm-hmm. that stuff, and decided I wanted to go on for my master's. So I went to University of Connecticut, uh, got a master's in plant science. So I was working full-time running the tissue culture lab and doing um, breeding work in area. And then, uh, since I was an employee, uh, I applied to the graduate school, so I was working on my graduate uh, degree part-time while I was getting funded uh, through this program. Okay. Uh, and then from there, uh, then it just really took off. I think uh, you
0: had to jump on a plane after that, right? I,
1: exactly. So, uh, my wife and I, we got married in May. Um, funding was running out for that program at the end of the year. Um, And we decided to move to California. And so I was working for a cut flower grower with Alstromeria, and I was doing breeding work and running tissue culture lab there. Was there for about three years, four years. Uh, He went in a beautiful part of uh, North County, San Diego. Um, Ocean views, can't beat it, 13 acres in production. Um, And like everything else there, uh, he decided to sell the land to a developer. So I was out of a job then, uh, and and honestly, my wife and I we wanted to uh, probably get back a little bit closer to the uh, northeast. Uh, so we ended up uh, moving to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I worked actually worked for the um, cancer center there at the Mu- Medical University South Carolina uh, through a mutual friend, uh, doing tissue culture work, uh, molecular bio- biology work. Um, was a great job but i missed being outdoors Uh Uh, and so i ended up with a position with um, at the time union camp uh, which is a paper company Uh Uh, and i was doing pine and hardwood propagation research um, which was a lot of fun because it was a completely different um, area working with foresters and things like that Uh, and then after um, we were bought by uh, a larger company And I had a position, but I could see things were changing. Uh, And then that's when we moved out here to Texas. Um, So it was kind of funny because my family thought we were sort of in a witness protection program because we were (laughs) moving like every three years. Um, But in in 99, we moved out to Texas. Uh, I was working for Heinz Nurseries as a new product development uh, coordinator. I was with them for eight years. Uh, they had some issues. Um, They're no longer uh, in business. They had mm-hmm. some bankruptcies and things like that. Uh, then from there, I was working for Syngenta, um, doing uh, technical resources, mm-hmm. uh, both on the flower side and then on the bio line side, which was there at the time. Their beneficial insects, working with growers, uh, setting up IPM programs and things like that. Um, there was a downsizing there. I was on the wrong side, and it happens. And so. Uh, <laughs> uh, ended up in academia now, uh, had the, there was an opening for that position in Harris County for mm-hmm. commercial horticulture agent, uh, applied for it, got it. And, um, it's, uh, haven't been looking back since. Yeah. Um, we've, uh, you know, I, I've, I've learned a lot, especially just overall, um, mm-hmm. um, a lot more horticulture, uh, the commercial side of things I knew, but, uh, we were getting questions on all things. Uh, oh, yeah. I, and I mean, I know, you know, when you and I were there, it, it was easy. Then you moved to Bra- Brazos County. Mm-hmm. So then I was the only agent. So yeah. then I was even, you're welcome. Yes. No problem. <laughs> 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 then I was really on the, you know, I, I was not a, uh, heavy into vegetables or, or fruit trees and things like that, but the, you know, the resources were there finding the answers,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, all of that. And, uh, finally, um, AgriLife figured that there's a gap. Uh, we're missing something for the industry. Mm-hmm. And they just. You're talking about the, the, the my, green current, my current, yeah, for the green industry. And so that's where they decided they wanted to, um, they wanted a program specialist mm-hmm. to work with the green industry and, the, and commercial horticulture. Uh, I applied for that. And um, January of this year is when I started. And yeah. it's been um, a great ride uh it, it's been a really nice change yeah um, okay
0: well good i'm happy for yes
1: you. yeah we're working with the industry um getting applied research projects going mm-hmm. uh writing fact sheets that we i know the green industry needs mm-hmm. for growers and things like that
0: yeah you put out you guys uh you and an entomologist i believe put out a really good one on aphids i remember yes and you've done some since then
1: yes so we have aphids we have uh two spotted spider mites and thrips will be coming out shortly so we've got a third one coming out okay and so we've probably got about another three or four more that we want to do mm-hmm. um but overall um just being able to work with the specialists getting out uh, i'm working more with um tnla which is the texas nursery landscape association uh teaching a course for their certification for the texas certified landscape associate mm-hmm. um so it's it's um you know i'm not Even though Harris County is a large county with 4.7 million people, um, working now across the state and and meeting more people, producers within the industry and trying to figure out how I can help them uh, and get them the information that they need and the help that they want um, is, from my perspective, uh, a welcome change.
0: One thing I like about AgriLife Extension is there the the horizon the possibilities are endless (laughs) You, you could you could work yourself and four more people to death just just trying to accomplish all the things that are potentially opportunities out there and uh so that's a that's always a a challenge you know to narrow things down and look at what what do we need to be doing and in your case the industry really helps provide input for that
1: yeah and 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 that's really how i see this position is is having the industry tell me what it is that they need and they want Mm -hmm. Uh, ultimately what i'm hoping we get to is a you know maybe a growers council or a landscapers council and they're they're saying you know groups of them are are saying here's the issues Mm -hmm. uh and with the input from them us ranking them out you know Mm -hmm. if we if we've got 10 potential projects what are the top three that we can yeah handle first we'll go after Mm -hmm. that um and then this way it's not something that i think they need but it's something that they're telling me they want and i can help them find the answers to
0: it so it's not a we're from the government and we're here to help you exactly <laughs> exactly it's more <laughs> but,
1: th- this is what we need help with yeah. and ha- how can you help us get well, that's get the beauty to the answer.
0: that's the beauty of extension in 254 counties in texas and it's it's locally driven that's our goal is right. to get input so every community has their needs being addressed and so that was a little extension commercial right mm-hmm. there
1: that I yeah and, and you know I'm, I'm, I'm getting there over you know Texas is big, and I I know the growers, most of the growers and things, uh, you know, in my area, I'm located in the Houston area, but I've been over to San Antonio, I've been up to Lubbock, I've, you know, been to Austin, so just getting out more and more, um, and, and I know if I wanted to, I could probably be traveling every week, but, um, you know, I, I've got to take those baby steps. I don't, I don't want to burn out too quickly, but, yes. you know, um, making sure they know who I am and what it is that I can
0: do for them. There you go. There you go. Well, if you're listening to the show today, you're thinking, what's going on? Well, what's going on is garden success today is not a call-in day. Uh, we're coming to you by tape. Our special guest is Paul Winsky, a program specialist for the green industry with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulture Department. And we've been talking a little bit about uh, Paul's history, where he's been. And, and as you've heard all that, you probably think, oh, my gosh, that makes my head spin. All those <laughs> all those different kinds of roles and jobs and some of it pretty darn high tech. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and go more to what's going on in people's yards. You know, the people listen to the show. They're interested in their lawn, their garden, their trees and shrubs and whatnot. And, I, and the elephant in the room this summer was drought and heat. And boy, did it take a toll.
1: A- absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I've g- received several calls, several emails. Um, and, and you know what? Just driving up here, um, so coming up from Houston, um, tree stress, we're, we're, we're seeing early signs of it. Yes. But I think next season we're going to see it Yes, um, probably over the next two or three years. Exactly. And, 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 and people, you know, so we need to let folks know that it, it's not – Symptoms may not always occur overnight, especially with mm-hmm. trees. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's going to happen over time, and if, if for some reason we get another extreme cold spell, mm-hmm. or we're in another drought, mm-hmm. you know, next year, um, these trees are going to you know really feel it and show it. And a yeah. y- couple examples, one, some of the things I'm seeing, uh, at least down in the, the Houston area, is um, uh, Magnolia grandiflora. Uh, Mm -hmm. Southern magnolia. Southern magnolia. There are some commercial plantings that every one of them is dead. Yeah. Um, So so it's, you know, uh, for the producers, for the growers that are growing these trees, they're going to have to be replaced. And if they want those, you know, there's going to be demand for them.
0: Well, and this happened back in the record freeze we had. uh, But when there's so much need, it's hard for the suppliers to keep up because you don't just – plant a magnolia seed one day and sell a an eight foot tree the next exactly so that takes, exactly especially it, with something slow growing like, like exactly
1: it, it, it's a multi-year process um, th- you know I guess one of the good things is uh, a lot of the issues with supply chain mm-hmm. that were problems from covid mm-hmm. are finally working their way out you That's know good. Uh, soils available pots available. Um, Starting product is available, things like that. Um, But when you have a higher demand than what these growers are growing, Mm -hmm. and uh, way back when, when I started, growers would grow, um, you know, basically what we would call on speculation. They would grow more than what was Mm -hmm. already sold. That's not the the name of the game anymore. People are only growing what it is that they know is either um, already sold or, you know, based on their... uh, data or information from the previous year so there's not a lot of extra product out there um because they don't want to get stuck with it and you know have to scrap it because then that that costs them money Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's going to be interesting um demand will be high um especially for larger trees and Mm -hmm. things like that so um and and you know some of the things we're seeing other things we're seeing i guess physiologically in the plants um uh Bradford Pears. If if you're driving around the neighborhoods or looking uh, as you're going about, you may see some that are blooming. Mm -hmm. Um, I've received an email of pictures of a redbud Mm -hmm. uh, that was completely leafed out, but it's putting out flowers again. Mm -hmm. And so that's a stress response. These trees have been stressed. and. Uh, it's almost like, hey, we've got to set seed because we're not sure if we're going to make it, yeah. you know, through the next season. That's true. Uh, and and so that's how that tree is responding.
0: Yeah, the, the ornamental pears seem to be the worst. Well, actually, all pears seem to be the worst about that mm-hmm. uh, thing. But a lot of other, I think you were mentioning red bud is one yeah. that you've had some, or you've driven by and seen them. I've had uh, calls at the extension office on apple trees that are blooming. And, really? You know, normally a tree sets its buds in late summer and fall for the spring bloom and then it goes through this dormancy and then when it comes out it blooms well we kind of had a summer dormancy almost uh, well not almost we did yeah and uh, trees coming out of that uh just bloom it's a shame because you know someone said do i cut them off so and i said, well no enjoy them now because that's next spring's blooms and they're not coming yeah and, coming and, and, and that's
1: it so uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting because we'll probably be getting calls next spring saying how come my tree isn't blooming yeah. and it's like well did it bloom last fall for you and they'll they'll say yeah it normally it yeah. doesn't well that's that's yeah. what happened
0: well we i think we take for granted the fact that trees are out there in nature they've lived there for a long long time many old trees even and you just assume, well, why would they just die all of a sudden? And then I was thinking back on it. And if you go back to February of 21, here in College Station, it got to about 7 degrees, which is too cold right. for our landscapes and landscape plants in general. And a lot of trees, severe damage. Uh, Chinese elm, major splits on the lost, a lot of Chinese elm, some dieback on a number of different species. Then we go into a summer that was pretty rough, and uh, in fact... Let's see, last summer, 22, I think we went 45 days over 100 degrees without rain here in Bryan College Station. Okay. And, you know, trees have extensive root systems, but when that soil gets pumped dry, you know, they've got to cool themselves, they've got to continue metabolic processes like photosynthesis, and when you shut all that down, it's big time troubling. People call and say, well, my tree died overnight. Well, close to it, but actually it's been dying a long time. Yeah. So then we get into let's see what are we 33 okay uh December of 22 and here that cold down in the mid-teens crepe myrtles weren't ready for it and, uh, and several several other things well I've you know crepe myrtles are hardy enough for this area but not when it hadn't had a chance to harden off, and then we go into this summer. Is this making everybody sad? Is, or any gardeners trying to jump and land on their their uh, gardening forks or something? Hang on, don't don't impale yourself on your soil gardening knife. Uh, but but this summer, same kind of thing. And so we talk about the effect of this summer and what it's going to have on our trees, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit. But it's just like one thing after another yeah. and these trees are are stressed and they're resilient but resilient to a point
1: yeah yeah uh, everything has its breaking point um yet yeah, I remember that that first freeze uh back in as you mentioned in 2022 and you know it was just telling people just be patient these plants are really resilient mm-hmm. uh, whether it was shrubs or trees or perennials and for the most part certain ones came okay. through no problem a lot of the citrus you know, took a hit, didn't mm-hmm. come back and things like that, but it's, it's just when that's a cumulative effect, it yeah. just really does a number and, and people forget about how that, or they, they don't know how that can build up, right. um, and affect a tree, uh, or shrubs in, in their landscape. And mm-hmm. so it's, um, it, it is a challenge, but you know, I, as I say, when I talk to my family and they're shoveling snow. I don't have to shovel humidity down here and uh, <laughs> you know i just uh it one of the great things down here is you, is you have such a long season mm-hmm. for growing uh for enjoying plants for getting out in the garden mm-hmm. yeah and uh so y- you know you've got to take the good with the bad
0: that's true well i know our trees with their stress uh oaks especially but uh, elms and several other species can get hypoxylon canker and that's a stress Response: uh, It's a it's a weak pathogen, I guess, in a sense, but it's already out there. Uh, Dr. Apple, uh, plant pathologist, was telling me that it's it's actually in the trees, the oak trees around, uh, but it's present. But when the tree gets weak, it comes in, and I mean, it barks flying off, and and it's dying fast. But it it really is dying because of the stress of the tree. It's like the the um, resistance in the tree is weakened, the immune system is weakened, and uh here it goes. And we have the same thing in our lawns with take all root rot. Exactly. Uh, th- normally take all isn't just jumps on a perfectly healthy lawn and but boy you stress it and there's a lot of ways we can stress it.
1: Yeah, and, and it it goes back to that, you know, plant pathology one oh one. Uh mm-hmm. you know, you have got to have a susceptible uh host, you've got to have the pathogen and the ideal conditions. Mm-hmm. And so when they use all align that's where the problem comes in. Um And, you know, whether it's drought stress or when we have very wet seasons or, you know, you name it. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of times though, those pathogens are probably the secondary cause. Mm -hmm. You know, people see that result and they're thinking that's what killed it. But Mm -hmm. really it's probably that the stress of of the drought or the freeze or whatever, um, that made that plant susceptible to the Mm -hmm. pathogen that they're visibly seeing, which is causing the problem.
0: And we're gonna see a lot, I'm sure. Uh, visiting with some foresters uh, and just kind of talking through the uh, how trees live and grow and that whole process the storage of carbohydrates is really important and uh, when you're getting defoliation late in the season a little too early or, or whatever or the lack of water causing the physiological process is not to run like photosynthesis it helps make the carbohydrates and uh, that is a tree that's already weak and now it's going into winter without an adequate store of the things it most needs.
1: exactly yeah. exactly and and you know there I, I i would see questions or hear questions of you know are, are trees dropping leaves you know it's the end of july and august and and Man. that's again that's a, that's a defense mechanism that mm-hmm. the the plant's trying to shed some some mm-hmm. of that so it could help conserve whatever it has and if, if you think about some of these larger trees you know we're here on campus and you know the amount of pressure it takes for them to move that water yeah. from that root system up through that trunk out to the, yeah. through those leaves um it, it's pretty amazing that they they survive it all the way they do yeah it, is. <laughs> you know? it really is yeah uh, we
0: shouldn't be surprised they're dying we should right. be surprised they're alive
1: yeah th- those that are making it it, <laughs> it 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 really is pretty impressive and and you know you then you turn on you know on a campus here if you've got a lot of uh, foot traffic and Mm -hmm. uh, soil compression and all that other stuff there's other things that that occur uh, Mm -hmm. and all of that can build up uh, if that tree is is just a bit vulnerable um, or susceptible and and it's it's you're going to have problems
0: yeah it there there are many kinds of stresses there's drought stress there are certain kinds of herbicides that will really weaken and damage a tree and a lawn uh, there, there's soil uh, trenching, cutting roots, and of course the lack of water, uh, and that was really driven home to me back when I was horticulturist in Travis County in Austin. Uh, there was this pasture where there were several post oaks, and around one they put a pen for goats. Okay. And these goats, it would rain, it'd be wet, and the goats are just trampling their little hooves, just pounding that soil. You know, mm-hmm. making it denser and harder and less well aerated and that tree hypoxelin just wiped it out the next spring and none of the others and it was, the only difference was the soil compaction of those those hooves from those the two darn many goats right under the the canopy spread of the tree and, yeah uh, so yeah there's a lot of ways plants get stressed. well uh so here we are on doom and gloom <laughs> it's gonna get better folks yeah uh so uh, i guess it can impart Partly, it can uh, advise us on some of the plant choices that we make, looking for things that might be a little more resilient. It sure, it sure can advise us on how to take care of things.
1: You know? a- absolutely. Um, well, you and I both know when, when we talk to Master Gardeners or do any of their classes, uh, I think one of the things we always stress is the right mm-hmm. plant in the right spot. Yeah. Uh, and being able to find those resources. Um, Texas superstar plants. Mm-hmm. If you if you go through that booklet, I'm sure you're going to be able to find plenty of plants that have been tested, mm-hmm. you know, through the university, uh, and they're going to perform well for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And and I guess the the other caveat is you know, we'll have those descriptions where it says drought tolerant. Well, that means you know for an established plant. Right. So so right. if you plant it in the spring and we have the summer that we have now, right. um. You know, you're still gonna have to give it water, and mm-hmm. you know it's not drought tolerant right out of the box. Right. You know, right out of the pot. <laughs> the analogy
0: I like to use, you know, we we get a plant like uh, Texas mountain laurel. You know, it grows out of a limestone rock in central Texas, and you can't even figure out where it's getting water. You know, right. There's no soil, much less, and it does fine, but it's established. Right. And the, but you take one out of a container and put it in the ground, and the whole root system is in a in less than a foot wide chunk of of growing mix. And my analogy for that is John Wayne. <laughs> you know, John Wayne was a mean old hombre in the in the movies, right? But when he was a baby, his mama fed him every day, tasted his diaper. I mean, he, he couldn't have survived in the desert, Exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's a that works for me. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and so that's that. That to me, that's one of the, the the key things is when people see that, they think right away, whoa. Well, it, it says here it's drought tolerant. Yes. But that's for an established plant. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the plants in that list, um, you're going to be successful with them. You'll be able to, uh, they'll hold up well, uh, extreme cases, you mm-hmm. know, mother nature can always throw you a curveball. Yeah, Um, that's but true. you know, making sure trying to, I guess, load the deck in your favor by, mm-hmm. by choosing the right plants. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started out in extension here, uh, you get, um, Uh, transplants that people had that had moved from the northeast of the midwest Um, can i grow lilacs here nope you know we
0: we need a society for the prevention of cruelty to plants to be on the texas border with right beside customs Showing that this is, if this is what you grew here, you yeah. can't grow it here, but this is what we recommend. I know you enjoyed your Colorado vacation, <laughs> but we're going to take that blue spruce and take it right back Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and, and so just understanding, you know, the, the, the palette of plants that are yeah. here um, that, that you've got, uh, that you can work with. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, native plants continue to expand in the palette of availability. Right. That, that was always a challenge is can you, can you buy a bunch of them? And I see some nurseries more and more carrying a wider and wider variety. And it doesn't mean natives are just, you know, the, the be-all end-all. We have some well-adapted non-natives, of course, but uh, that certainly is a great place to start uh, if, if aesthetically you like the looks of the plant.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and I think just understanding um, that when you purchase it, it, it may not look pretty Mm -hmm. um oh man and and that that, that's the biggest challenge when when i was on the nursery side we would always get that question of um why aren't you growing more natives why aren't you and and the problem is in a five gallon pot or a one gallon pot it doesn't look good and 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 the gardening public um now this is was early 2000s but i I think it's they're, they're getting better they're starting to understand it more but um they want instant gratification right um, it's got to be you know b and b but but in yeah. blooms you yeah. know there's got to be flowers on it it's got to look good
0: we need a four inch pot that's got a dinner plate size red hibiscus bloom on top of that poor little plant yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and and the interesting thing is is if you go to europe uh whether it's the uk or holland or or any of them you know they they will sell and purchase plants like that mm-hmm. that are dormant still but they've got a nice big label on it mm-hmm. but the public understands it and and they yeah. know it and so the, the they, there's no issue purchasing we're here they want yeah it look good they want yep. to drop it either in a, a big planter or in the landscape right and be well, done it, with and it and
0: you see that when shoppers are at a garden center They're going through a tray of marigolds trying to find the ones with the most blooms on them or whatever the plant is. And really, we should be buying a plant that is not having to take care of all those current blooms. Let's get the plant growing and healthy, and then it'll put a lot more blooms on. Yeah. Uh,
1: You know, buy it with more buds than with more open blooms. Mm -hmm. But that color attracts you. You've only got, you know, it's a very short period of time that as they're coming into the garden center, that catches their attention. Yeah. Uh, color cells and so that's you know that that's the way they're programmed and so the growers have to have the product looking like that in order for them to for it to go off the shelf
0: well you mentioned texas superstars and uh, those of you listening if you go to the aggie horticulture website it's aggie hyphen horticulture.tamu.edu there's a link there to the texas superstar plants as well as earth kind roses and other kinds of Uh, Plants that just have a way of surviving here without us.
1: Absolutely. And and the good thing is uh, they've been tested. Uh, They've been trialed throughout the state. You know, if you think about it, north to south, we're, what, zone 6, zone 5, down to probably zone 10 now down in the valley. Um, And so climatically, that's diverse. And Mm -hmm. if you go west to east, the amount of rainfall is from just about 10 inches to – what over 40 maybe close to 50 inches yeah well over 50 yeah uh, get all the way to orange in in east texas so you know finding plants that perform under those Mm -hmm. growing conditions is a challenge so that's one of the things that uh, AgriLife does is we've got these folks uh these committees these groups that are Mm -hmm. evaluating these plants across the state to see how they will how they will perform um so that when they make that list you can feel pretty confident that all right if i get if i start with a good plant and I, i've got this plant, i i should be able to uh get it into my landscape and enjoy it for for more than one season right if it's a you know a shrub or a perennial your mm-hmm. there are some annuals in there and you, you know your annuals are going to last for one season but mm-hmm. you know that you're going to be successful with it
0: yeah that that is true uh, you mentioned beneficial insects a little bit earlier and when you were working uh, with Syngenta. Uh, talk a little bit about how the world of beneficials, how in your time of watching it, uh, has changed. And, and I think people probably aren't aware of what some of the technologies are for getting beneficials into like a greenhouse. So maybe you're buying, uh, I don't know, poinsettias or something for the holidays. Uh, and that plant, the beneficials may have been in a very unique way involved in the growing of that plant.
1: Yeah, uh, more and more growers are, are starting to, you know, we talk about uh, IPM, Integrated Pest Management, and more and more growers are starting to look at and use uh, and incorporate into their programs, whether it's releasing beneficial insects, um, there are um, what we call biostimulants, biopesticides, things like that. So mm-hmm. growers in general are becoming much more sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not quote unquote organic, mm-hmm. but they're, they're growing, they're using less of the conventional chemistries. Right. Now, th- does that mean that they've stopped using them No, um Mm -hmm. but they can use them a lot less which which is which is a good good thing
0: well and and part of it is knowing how to use them and and you know you it's not like you just turn a bunch of ladybugs loose and go on spring seven dust on everything right (laughs) because you have many ladybugs right so they they have uh softer technologies in terms of sprays that don't kill beneficials as bad exactly. they have they have timing and and days to wait before you release a beneficial there a whole scheme of how to do that right
1: um understanding uh, lo- the, the, one of the terms we use uh, in the greenhouse or at the nursery is um looking at the thresholds what mm-hmm. what what is the population the pest population in your crop Mm-hmm. And so like in the greenhouse growers will have sticky cards out there These ye- yellow cards that have uh, a sticky type glue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the period of time, uh, some of the pests will be drawn to them. Mm-hmm. And so if you go out, whether you monitor it once a week or after a 24 hour period, mm-hmm. you can. it gives you a good idea of mm-hmm. what the pest population is. And yeah. from that, you can then make a decision. Do I need to do a release of beneficials? Mm-hmm. You know, am, am I seeing uh, spider mites or aphids or um, thrips? Mm-hmm. And depending on what that threshold is, whether it's five, Um, within a 24-hour period or if it's weekly the number is going to be a little bit higher Mm -hmm. then they can make that decision and release these
0: beneficials into the crop that's that's just fascinating i i really you know if you were to ask the average gardener name some beneficial insects i think ladybug would be at the top of the list right maybe lacewings maybe dragonflies but the ones that are really doing the work right now are probably not going to be on anybody's list like you were talking about spider mites uh, tell us a little bit about the there's several types of beneficial mites that eat spider mites
1: right and and so that that's the key so there's for a lot of growers when you first go to talk to them about this there is not one beneficial insect there's no silver bullet that no. will that will feed on everything. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys are, are what we call specialists. Mm-hmm. They will feed on just aphids, or they mm-hmm. will feed on just uh, two-spotted spider mites. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are, um, there's a lot of predatory mites that are beneficial, and they have a voracious appetite. And they, if, if the uh, prey is there, mm-hmm. they go after it, they feed on them, um, and they do an excellent job, yeah. um, but you have to be proactive. You can't really be reactive mm-hmm. when yes. you're when you're releasing beneficial yes. insects because if the pest population gets too high, they'll they'll never catch up. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, there you can then a lot of these companies that produce these beneficials, um, they have what they call compatibility charts mm-hmm. with regard to the active ingredients, the pesticides right. that are out there, and they're they're basically in a one one through four scale, Um, one meaning that they are probably the softest. Mm -hmm. Um, Will they knock out a few beneficials? Yes, but they're not going to wipe out the whole population. Mm -hmm. Um, And so knowing what was sprayed or what you have Mm -hmm. uh, in order to knock it down. Um, And then the other thing is, uh, are any of those active ingredients, are there any residuals? Uh, effects to them Um, because if you you get something and you spray say like orthene Mm -hmm. um, it's residual in certain cases is up to four weeks Mm -hmm. so if you sprayed orthene and then you come out a week later and you want to release beneficials you're you're wasting your time and money because they're not going to establish that the residual from that orthene is going to knock them out and and so you've got to you know the growers that understand it and do it and know it um, they have gotten really good at it. Um, and it's like anything else, there's always that learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start to see, you know, the price per square foot with these inputs starts to go down with the beneficials cause they get, they understand how mm-hmm. they work, um, how they release them. Uh, there's different ways you can sprinkle them out. They have what they call these sachets. Mm-hmm. So, so think of a, a tea bag, uh, type mm-hmm. product with. A hole in the back of it and inside of it is the beneficial uh there's a little uh prey mite that they can eat on mm-hmm.
0: uh, inside and, the tea
1: in, bag. In, inside the tea bag and yeah. it's usually like uh so
0: they pack their lunch when they you got it, it
1: it's got like buckwheat or something else inside there yeah. um could be vermiculite depending on the beneficial and then as they mature they just crawl out and crawl into the crop mm-hmm. and so it may be loaded with say 500 of these beneficials mm-hmm. but over the course of time the beneficials that are in there are, are still they're, they're they're also breeding mm-hmm. and so it's almost like a time release thing so for maybe a four to six week period you can have anywhere from say two t- two thousand to twenty five hundred predatory mites released coming out, out, out of, of that out of that one sachet Pretty cool. and so as those plants are Touching each other, we, you know, we talk about the bridges. The bridges are in place, so these mm-hmm. beneficials can then walk across yeah, and, and find a bridge. A spider
0: mite can't jump a foot over to the next exactly, place. exactly. <laughs> Even though it does have egg legs,
1: exactly. <laughs> so, so it, it, it's 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 interesting how they can do. And as you talk to growers, it's like, well, you know, if if you do a release early on, maybe while while you still have them in propagation, because you've got a lot of plants in a in a tray. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have them and you get them on there earlier, then when you go to transplant, you've got some of that population mm-hmm. on them already. And mm-hmm. then it, it just makes things a lot easier.
0: And there's also uh, tech, or systems where like they have banker plants inside a greenhouse. C- correct. And it's like you're raising beneficial food over there, but it's not something that's gonna get on your crop but it is something that feeds a beneficial.
1: Right. So it, it's more of, right, it's it's feeding, and it's giving a place for that beneficial uh, to go through its life cycle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so uh, a lot of times banker plants are, 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 a lot of them are used for aphid control. Mm-hmm. Um, and the predatory uh, wasp, parasitic wasp, mm-hmm. is, is growing and developing in these banker plants. Mm-hmm. And then as it hatches out and matures, it then is flying around the greenhouse and, yeah. and when we say parasitic wasp these things are very tiny yeah. it, it's not like the wasp that you would well, think in the landscape
0: when they're fully adult size they fit inside the body of an aphid so that's it, it, right <laughs> it's, that's right that's small
1: and and so growers will have these uh banker plants throughout the crop uh and then these uh parasitic wasps are releasing yeah. them and then um parasitizing any of the aphids that are there so yeah. it, it's the, the systems, the growers that have it figured out, they, they're really dialed in and tuned in, and they're doing an excellent job with yeah, it.
0: That that is neat. And, and they've experimented with a lot of other ways of releasing. I was looking at an article. I can't remember which of the industry journals it was. But uh, using… Um, gosh I can't see. the little aircraft uh the drone, drones drone yes, yes 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 to fly through and dusting yes. beneficials through through yeah a so, uh, so
1: they're doing that a lot uh in orchards mm-hmm. um in uh, vineyards um and so the one company is called Powerbug. and so <laughs> if, if you if you ever look it up it's p-a-r-a-b-u-g um you can see their videos on um youtube okay. and and it's really interesting because they they control it and Uh, there's a cylinder that has the beneficial insects in it with a carrier, usually vermiculite in this case, and they are uh, flying over top of the canopies and the predatory mites are being dropped down over top of it. So again, it's, it's, it's always that, how do we get them there most efficiently um, and getting them there when they're, you know, they're alive and and they're ready to, to feed and, and do what they need to do what
0: a world war ii battle scene right <laughs> the all these just flocks of, her, of planes going over and and paratroopers coming out of the planes and that's exactly yeah, what exactly
1: and, and now we got spider mites you know not spider mites but the predatory mites dropping out and nice. uh, establishing on the on the trees and in yeah. the vineyards so it's, it's interesting how the technology goes from greenhouse to outdoor to nursery mm-hmm. to you know orchards and things like that. Yeah,
0: it is. Well, I know we spent a little time on beneficials, but I knew listeners would be interested in the fascinating world of where all this is going. Right. that's just really cool. Right. Well, I'd like to, you to talk a little bit about some of the trials you've been doing. Now, this could go, you can go on, all the way back to um, down at uh, P2 down in South Harris County and, okay. and some things, but uh, currently – what your trials are now
1: so one of the things i did this year was um in the past now now i'm part of the uh the team the committee for the texas superstars mm-hmm. um we used to have when dr pemberton was up in overton he would always do an, an outdoor trial bedding plants mm-hmm. um replicated uh it, it was great to see how they performed uh in mm-hmm. the in the uh, in the beds in ground and things like that um well Dr. Pemberton has retired. Um, We did not have that trial this past year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what I did was, where I'm located, I did a uh, containerized trial. So I had 14-inch pots, soil, uh, and I had 50 entries, Mm -hmm. uh, 50 different types of plants. Some were combinations. uh, Some were uh, single species uh, and had three replicants of each one. So it was set up on drip irrigation. It was on a concrete slab, and it was hot as hades out there yeah. uh, for for these for those plants
0: and roughly when did you plant all these so flowers? so
1: this was planted uh, i would say the end of april uh-huh. uh and so they uh, didn't exactly have a head start when nope nope times were good they did not uh and that it went up until uh labor day
0: labor day wow. labor day labor day i remember the field day you had out there i can't remember when that was but we had been through we just got through talking about how bad this summer was and stuff looked great yeah I mean, there's some the, exciting new things that was the up.
1: uh yeah the field day was end of july uh and and so it was um yeah it was interesting to to see you know when when you're there seeing it day in and day out mm-hmm. it's like you, you know what's going on but when you have people come out that haven't seen it mm-hmm. and that's the first time they're seeing it and they're mm-hmm. getting excited it's like okay you know mm-hmm. we're we're we're, we're, we're hitting the mark here. Um, yeah. And so there There were some of the things that I thought were interesting was there's a series um, from Syngenta on, of, of petunias, a, a small flowering one called Itzy. Um, that thing bloomed all summer. And most petunias.
0: A petunia blooming in yes, the summer.
1: Usually by the M- Mother's Day, definitely by Memorial Day, your petunias are probably done blooming in the landscape. Wow. Um, and this thing just did not stop. That's amazing. Um, and, and it was profuse bloomer. Um, and so, you know, it's, if I was the breeder, I'd be working with that to get yeah. more heat tolerance into some of the other lines of, uh, petunia yeah. because of that, whatever that gene is or whatever yeah. it is, a combination, um, that, for for this area for a petunia to bloom all summer was was really pretty impressive
0: that's that is it is, does it have a growth habit kind of like a wave petunia or something where it's coming over the side yeah it,
1: it, it has that mounding habit mm-hmm. um but a very it's a it's a smaller mm-hmm. uh, flower you know not as large as what a wave would be okay. um much smaller um but very compact uh and and it's uh, it, it would be idea in the landscape it would probably do well as a ground cover that's cool um in the container you know it 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 had that spilling effect you Uh know um so it was coming over but there were you know we had some lantanas that it did extremely well um coleus i I think some of the coleus uh the series that we had was called talavera that's Uh t-a-l-a-v-e-r-a so if you see that next year there was i believe five different colors um those plants did not miss a beat throughout the entire summer. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say some of them, you know, the flower, I mean, not the flower, but the foliage would fade a little bit. Mm-hmm. But considering the conditions, if if they had received, say, some afternoon shade, yeah. they probably would have been fine.
0: Well, I remember when Coleus was just for shade. Right. And, and that trial and, and folks, what he said about just imagine a giant concrete slab, the biggest what your house would sit on almost... And they're just pots sitting in there in the blazing heat. And, you know, they, that, that's amazing that, it, that anything was alive. But, yes, I remember the field day. They looked awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were really impressive. They did, some of the colors did throw some uh, flower spikes, mm. you know. So, f- from my perspective, for a landscaper, you know, you want those ones that don't bloom because you don't want to have your crew out there having mm-hmm. to the deadhead. Yeah. Um, but uh in general just the color contrast on these and the overall growth and and you know for for a full-sun plant they they were really pretty impressive
0: yeah so. that is cool stuff uh what what were some other favorites of yours from the trial uh
1: the the coleus the lantana that itzy um you know vinca's always do well and mm-hmm. and there were there were some combinations out there that had um angelonia um and vinca in it mm-hmm. and you know you can't go wrong for the heat of the summer you yeah. know when we talk about plants the right plant yeah. things like that um for summer angelonia and and vinca they do yeah. extremely well together
0: they, they are that uh Angelonia's and the color range now is pretty, yes pretty good yeah and those uh you see a lot up here in the bryan college station area where there's an entrance to a subdivision or an, you know some other like um business park or something they'll use angelonia's a lot uh, going yes. into that because they're just bulletproof yeah
1: yeah in, in the heat of the summer those those uh plants are going to be in bloom and the, the breeding companies they continue to evolve mm-hmm. um they get some taller ones um so further back in the bed it, you know not just up front but then majority i would say are in that 10 to 12 inch range mm-hmm. um, but there are some other ones that have a little bit taller mm-hmm. and the flowers are are a little bit bigger common name on that is is a lot of times people refer to it as summer snapdragon yeah yeah. Um, but angelonia and and vinca do extremely well work well together uh whether in combinations or in the landscape
0: that's great that's great well we um finally are entering cooler weather
1: about (laughs) time this
0: is nice (laughs) this is nice and so it's it's time to be looking at our cool season flower beds and things what are some of your favorite things to plant for maybe fall, maybe even into winter color?
1: Yeah. So it, it, interesting you say that because I, I was just out at this morning, I, I stopped by um, Spring Creek Growers uh, in Waller uh, and I could see they've got their pansies that are ready. They're they are coming along, so um, pansies are great um, and, they, and they will tolerate. You know freezing temperatures uh depending on how long that that frost is going to last but they they are very cold tolerant uh so they they are great um violas so you know for, as from a gardening standpoint you've got to make the decision uh what i tell people are uh um pansies are going to have larger flowers but not as many yeah. um if violas smaller flower um but it's very profuse yeah blooming
0: and i and in that debate or whatever choice i'm way over on viola's side right for several reasons number one if you're going to view it up close and you have a mix of colors like a pansy face right that's interesting right but when you get back and you want a swath of color that you can actually see you can get the solid color violas and right and it's easier and then i think after a rainstorm they hold up better than right. the pansies do right
1: and and it's it's really interesting that The color combinations that are available in either one, whether it's violas or pansies, I mean, you can have it match the colors of your favorite college team, the colors of your favorite pro team. You can have it match the pot or contrast the pot. So uh, the breeding companies have done excellent jobs in, in developing the colors. You can have blotched face. You can have clean clear colors Mm -hmm. you can have ones that have it what we call cat whiskers on them Mm -hmm. so it it just really depends on the marks and the pebbles you're talking about and and then um there's even cascading forms now coming out so if you want them as hanging baskets so um there's a lot out there with regard to viola Mm -hmm. and and pansies um you know right now you probably could uh i'm trying to think petunias Mm -hmm. Early on now, cool Mm -hmm. season, they're doing well. Mm Dianthus is what you're definitely going to see coming out. We have
0: the little compact types, uh, bedding plant types, like the Telstar series, correct? and there's some new ones now. But I like the tall, uh, the neon colors, like the Amazon series. And I'm trying to think of the other ones. There's
1: the neons, there's the jolts. Jolt, yeah. uh, There's several other ones. And those are really interesting because they're they're interspecific hybrids. Mm. So it's... uh, caryophylla by uh sweet william mm. barbados so you even get some fragrance uh wow. the, the other thing is that's cool about those is those stems are tall that you can either enjoy them outdoors mm-hmm. or use them as a cut flower and bring them inside
0: yeah we're talking something that's knee high or more
1: yes yes
0: yeah, that's cool they planted a bunch of those just next to the uh, um K-A-M-U station over in the parking lot of the football field they planted some just next to it in the next building over i think the Hagler building i believe is what it's called uh and and you just from the road it's like i'm surprised there weren't traffic wrecks because they were maroon first of all right so everybody was jumping out of their cars with tears rolling out of their eyes singing the aggie warham running across the yeah it was a beautiful thing
1: yeah yeah Yeah. And, and and that's to me that flower power power when you're Driving down the road, and something catches your eye, then then you know you've you've got a good plant, yeah. and you've got a good design because people are noticing it.
0: Okay, well I'm gonna keep picking at your brain here. We got uh, you mentioned the pansies and violas, uh, the the uh, petunias going up right. until a freeze. Uh, we talked about dianthus. Uh, any other things that uh, it could be annual plants or shrubs or any any version of a flower that?
1: Well, one of the things I I really like. This time of year is some of those ornamental kales and cabbages mm-hmm. because you're growing them you know it, it's there's always plenty of flowers but how do you bring some other textures uh mm. and, and colors in right and so those ornamental kales and cabbages just really set yeah. things off differently they do and and so you can have purples you can have different textures in there Mm -hmm. so so always think about it's not always sometimes it's not always about the flower um it's about some of these you know foliage plants that could add some unique interest you know depth and texture uh into the landscape and kind of
0: mixing back in some of the things you were saying about colors i think the one of the prettiest beds i ever saw uh was they had dusty miller with uh, a white and a very light blue and a darker blue viola all around it. And that silver mixed in, yeah. the, it was yeah. just, it was stunning. And, but that's bringing the foliage like you're talking
1: exactly. about. Exactly. And I bet you if you went out there like at dawn or dusk, that would pop even more because that white, you know, that whitish, yeah. that silver is, yeah. is going to pop then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, and, you know, you mentioned that Dusty Miller, that's another good, mm-hmm. cool season crop um, for us here. Oh, and alyssum. I, I alyssum. really like alyssum. Yes. Um low growing lots of flower power great fragrance to right. it uh, it does bring in you know if there's beneficial insects yes. in the area it brings them in so
0: the little parasitoid wasp you're yes. talking about yes. and hoverflies i've noticed yes. a lot yes. on yes
1: yes and so uh it's it's a really good plant um for the cold yeah. season
0: kind of a, extremely well if you get enough of it it's kind of a honey fragrance in yes. the air it's a real nice yeah, light yeah, fragrance. It's, it's, it's a nice it spills over a container well yeah, yeah so sometimes
1: so. majority of the color is going to be in that purplish blue mm-hmm. but there is like a wine color or mauve maroon mm-hmm. and then there's white, white and of an white. off-white and things like yeah. that so there there's there's a pretty broad color range
0: well um, r- with it since we're talking about alyssum I want to shift out of the winter season just for real quick. And we'll come back. Uh, lobularia, which is yes. also the genus of Alyssums. Yes, it's so confusing as to what to call the summer Alyssums. Yes, <laughs> so yes. So you want to talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so,
1: so, so this, uh, and I'll never forget when we, when I first started with yeah. extension
0: at the, at a Bear Creek. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. uh, at a Bear Creek, I was like, we've got to get this Lobularia in yeah. because I be you know coming through new products um, the the, the what they were talking about this plant was it was an alyssum for the heat of the summer yeah so if you like to listen in this in the you know uh during the winter early spring um this is going to what you're going to need for the for for the winter yeah and um or, or i'm sorry for the summer and we planted it out there and this thing we just, planted it in may yeah
0: i mean it was blazing hot
1: and and this thing thrived and it bloomed and it bloomed and oh, it bloomed awesome. and so it did what it did so now it, it's you know i i, I you always have it in my slide deck and yeah. i always say you know if you like alyssum for the cool season
0: mm-hmm.
1: plant this lobularia for the summer yeah. and it's going to do the same thing
0: and it was that white stream or do yes. you remember yes yeah
1: uh, i believe it was but the stream series is the what whole they call it series. Yeah. but there's since then other other sheet companies have come out with some other varieties that are heat tolerant yeah yeah okay but yeah that that that's a great yeah great one-two punch if you like that look in yeah. your your landscape well,
0: we need we need a name for the the new one the, the summer one because you know, alyssum is lobularia, yes. but I always call the summer one lobularia, yes. and it sounds yes. like I'm talking about a different plant.
1: Yes, they they look yeah. If you had them side by side, you wouldn't be able to tell yeah. the difference. Yeah,
0: that that is neat. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back, going back to the cooler season, uh, we're in the big middle right now of the fall blooming season. And right. In fact, I'm not big middle. We're toward the end of it, but starting in late summer and going into fall, we have a lot of good plants. And you know, in spring. Anything. I mean, you can buy a fuchsia hanging basket, and it'll live up to 15, 20 minutes here in right. Texas <laughs> in the spring. It would die in the summer in five. <laughs> no, seriously. But we have a lot of options for color. And then summer, we have a few, and we depend on foliage a lot more in the summer uh, for color. And then we get to fall, and people forget about fall. Right. But we have things like uh, the uh, salvia lucantha, the Mexican bush sage with the purple spikes, right. purple and white, uh, the... Um, uh mexican mint marigold which is a, a type of marigold that has a um uh, licorice smell right and you know what i'm sitting here talking about plants and we're having so much fun <laughs> we're almost out of time uh just matches the
1: time go right copper
0: canyon daisies another good one yep. Uh the fall aster oh my gosh that's, yep. that's probably yep. one of my favorite yeah so there's no excuse for not having color year-round no
1: it, it's it's whether it's flowers or foliage there's plenty of options out there
0: yeah that, yep. that is good well, Paul, it's been great having you again. For those who may have joined late, uh, we're talking to Paul Winsky, our program specialist for the green industry with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulture Department. Uh, th- thank you so much uh, for it, being it part was, of our show. It was tonight.
1: my pleasure. Anytime I can talk plants is, is it, it's always a good day.
0: I know it's always good to <laughs> see you, my friend. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here for today. Just want to remind you, Garden Success is on every Thursday from 12 to 1pm. You can listen live on KAMU FM or on your computer. And you can also listen to podcasts. Just go to your podcast supplier and look for Garden Success.